Father, I just come before you, Lord. I thank you that your presence, Lord, is already here. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you attest and, and you, you, you confirm that, that you're among us, Lord, that you are pleased with this gathering. You are pleased, Lord, with these people, Father. You are pleased, Lord, with us, Lord, to dwell with us, Lord God, and to make your name known, to make your ways known, to make your word known, to make <clears throat> your character known, O Lord. Father, I pray that even now that your presence would continue to linger from start to finish, Father. I pray, Lord, that your hand, Lord, would be gloriously evident, Lord, in our gathering, Father. I pray, God, that you would give me the words to preach, that you would give me divine revelation, that you would give me, Father, words, Lord, that come from the Holy Ghost, that come from your spirit that come from not my own mind or my own imagination lord <clears throat> father i pray god that the words that would be spoken today lord would not be mine lord would not be um anything that i preconceived father but i pray lord it would convict it would cut to the heart it would inform it would correct it would enlighten it would encourage it would edify Father, I pray that you would give me this grace to be able to purport your word in power. Father, I pray, God, uh, that every lie that uh, your people have believed here in this meeting, Lord, it would come down. It would be contradicted. I pray that we would no longer believe the lies of the devil. We would believe your truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that the, the, the truths of our hearts would be laid bare before your presence, before your eyes, before your glory. Father, serve as a two-edged sword. Serve as a hammer, Lord, to all that contradicts your word, to every system, to every ideology. Lord, I pray for an impartation of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, I pray for your glory to dwell. I pray for your joy to dwell, Father. Lord, I pray that we would not be a depressed people. We would not be a sad people. We would not be a backslidden people. We would not be a disabled people. I pray that you would raise us up with glory. I pray that you raise us up with power. Oh God, I pray, make us a prayerful people. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray that no defense, Lord, would be given to, to prevent us from receiving wholeheartedly, Lord, what you desire to say unto your people. Hallelujah. May every wall come tumbling down. Father, I pray that now those that are in the flesh, get them out of the flesh, that they may hear and receive. May they be in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, speak by the Spirit, pray by the Spirit. <clears throat> hallelujah and may i come in grace father i pray that i would not be hard where you want me to be gentle and i pray that you would not have me be gentle where you want me to be hard or may i perfectly emulate your character may i perfectly emulate your word may father i i reflect entirely what you desire to say may i reflect entirely lord god the way that you would have me to speak. 
Holy Spirit, and I pray, God, may you dwell among us, Father. You are welcome in this place. You are welcome among this people. You are welcome here, Lord God. We want nothing less than your presence. We want nothing less than you, O Lord. So grant us revival. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. We invoke your name, Lord. We invoke your precious name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just want to take a a couple of, uh, I just want to take about 30 seconds and just worship the Lord. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to uh, uh, shout. But you find a place of worship in your heart. Because this has this has to be a place that that, that sanctifies uh, uh, everything unto God. So Lord, we just worship you. Want to praise and magnify your name. You're the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. You're worthy of all glory. You're worthy of all honor. You're worthy of all praise. Father, you you're worthy, Lord. We thank you for the blood that was shed for our sins. We thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, we're no longer a part of a filthy world, that we're a part of the bride of Christ. We just thank you, Lord, from a heart of gratitude. We thank you, Lord, that we're no longer on our way to a devil's hell. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we are a part of your glorious plan. We thank you, Father, that even times we have failed, that you have forgiven us and you've cleaned us up and you've restored us. Lord, we thank you, Father God, that we cannot um, outdo your mercy, O Lord. We thank you that your grace is inexhaustible. We just worship you, Lord, and ask, Father, that your Shekinah glory would be manifest. Oh, hallelujah. Glory. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. I love the presence of the Lord. I love the presence of God. Um, It makes the difference. I can be the greatest scholar. I can know my Greek and I can know my Hebrew as good as those things are. But if the presence of God is absent, nothing we will do will take off. Nothing that we do even in His name will take off. Nothing that we do for our families will be of any eternal value. Um, Christ is very jealous to have unto himself fruits that he has caused. And so it matters not if we can mimic and parrot and duplicate or, or manufacture or create anything that would look and appeared to be religious and good and moral and nice but is lacking of Christ is lacking of anointing it is lacking of his presence see God only praises what he has accomplished he looked upon creation and said it was good and the only thing he call he he looks upon and says is good is the things that he has created and done and performed in and through us. And he accomplishes that by his Holy Spirit. And so, <clears throat> 
We must be temples of the living God. The most tragic thing in the Old Testament is when they had arrived to a place to where it was it was said of, of God's people that they have experienced Ichabod. And that's just a Hebrew word to say his glory has departed. And see, this, this sort of language is what I want you to be familiar with. I want you to be able to say that on your lips and it means something from the depths of our heart that the glory... That, that we are, are, are recipients, we receive, we, we enjoy, we love, and we long for His glory. God forbid that we should ever come to a place to where we're going through the motions and we are proclaiming even His word and doing things on behalf of Christ, but His glory doesn't rest upon us. Are we wiser than Moses who says very very truthfully, Lord, if your glory doesn't go before us, don't send us. And let me say this, God's glory doesn't lead to poverty. God's glory doesn't lead to famine. God's glory doesn't lead to shame and regret. The glory of God leads to an ever-abounding praise unto His name and a presence of joy and, and, and richness. Amen. We serve, we serve a God of the living. We don't serve the God of the dead. And for that I'm thankful unto God. <clears throat> but nevertheless, if um, we can turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, I want to begin at verse 3. Lord willing, may God give me grace to um, share the mind of God. Um Here's here's an insight. We we can share the word of God and we can even testify about God in a way that is lacking of God. And a lot of people don't understand that because we think that just because we're we we teach something or we say something um that we are necessarily bringing God in the equation, but that's not necessarily true. How many people? How many times do people use the Bible to just thump it over people's heads? But the the the, the person getting Bible thumped is not leaving with God. It's not leaving with the sense of Christ. Amen. <coughs> um. So Philippians chapter 1 verse 3, are you all with me? Thumbs up, crying faces, convicted faces, anything? <laughs> um, Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. You know, it's interesting because this letter is written by Paul, and it's written during the time he's in prison. And this time that he's experiencing in prison isn't leading him to a depressed state. The, the, the theme, uh, the, if, if there's any theme to the book of Philippians, I would say that it may potentially be joy. Because this is a reoccurring uh, uh, command that he gives to the church at Philippi. And he says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. 
And if there ever was a time that Paul could uh, relapse into depression and and get to a place to where he's sorrowful, what not sorrowful, I want to rephrase that because Paul does recognize, he says, we're always sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So the presence of joy doesn't mean there's an absence of sorrow. It may not be until you actually experience the depths of sorrow that you experience the heights of joy. But I, I would make the, the, the separation that Paul is not experiencing depression. He's experiencing sorrow. And he's not hopeless. He's not in a place to where he has no hope in God. And rather, um, I, you know, it's interesting because as I read through this letter, I, I find nothing of, uh, of a miserable state that Paul is in. He's a very hopeful state. Right, because his hope is—it's not circumstantial. His hope isn't resting in what he's going through. Rather, it's in the living Christ, who—who who his opponents can't beat it out of him. Uh, his critics can't criticize it out of him. Temptation can't seduce it out of him. They can't because he's already become a dead man. But. That that deadness isn't isn't the the finality of of it isn't the total con, uh, uh, um, story of the Christian life. Rather, the it, it, the the final story of the Christian life is a life of is is a story of life. It is a story of victory. And this victory and this hope it doesn't rest upon circumstances. It rests rather upon the living reality that whether I lie, whether I live or whether I die, as Paul says in his own words in this book, I live unto Christ, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> but if we look at verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership. Hold on. <coughs> because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So I want to point out a couple of things first. Because um, we're going to read from verses 3 to verse 9 and maybe onward. Uh, I don't think we'll get that far. But um, I want to focus, uh, focus on verses 3 through 9. But if you draw your attention specifically to verse 3, if you have your Bibles, Paul is saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. Okay, so what is, this we, what is, it, that we, what is it that we observe from Paul nevertheless? That his life is characteristic of thanks. You know, I, I, I want to say, and this is something for myself, I don't claim to have arrived, I don't claim to have um, successfully lived this out every single day of my life, and I don't think any of us could raise our hands in this area, but the moment we begin complaining, the moment we begin bickering, the moment we begin to find discontent in our hearts, we, are already, we should already have our alert on that we are lacking we're falling short of the the ideal life that Jesus has for us, and it's a life that is perpetually thankful. 
It is a life that is continuously thankful. And you know, what I love about this here is that Paul isn't even necessarily thinking, he's not thanking God on behalf of himself, rather he's thanking God on behalf of those whom he loves. He loves these people. And you know, he, he doesn't say, you know, oh man, I wish, you know, um, I wish uh, we can swap lives. You know, uh, this man, he's in prison and they're outside of prison. He's not so self-concerned. He's not even thinking about his trial or when his next court date will be. Rather, he's thinking, man, I, I, this is the first thought that we find here in the text. Right? He says, I thank God for, for you all. That's why I'm thanking the Lord. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So it's not, you know, they're, they're doing something worthy of thanks. Because if, if, if for example, suppose everybody, you know, I, forgive me for for even use this as an example but everybody in here or half of the people in here were backslidden every time i would think of you i'd be grief would be brought to my heart or hopefully so sadly we we live in a day and an age unfortunately where pastors and ministers can think of people and their spiritual state and it not shake them and not move them you know i i posted something yesterday because i had it on my memories from uh, a year ago, Leonard Ravenhill said, he says, if a pastor doesn't weep over those in the pew, he said that something should be organized in the pew to weep over the pastor. Paul was very grieved concerning those who were not living in step with the gospel, were not living in step with the life that had been given to them by Christ. Amen. However, they're doing something good, therefore... He's thankful. He's thankful that there are spiritual people, that there are sacrificial people, that there are loving people. And he doesn't say sometimes, this is where, you know, a lot of our Bible reading, (coughs) we need to pay careful attention to just word by word. Let me just inject with this insightful tip on how to better read your Bibles. I learned this from uh, John Piper. He says, if you want to bring out some of the gems from each verse, what you need to do is emphasize each word. Reread the same verse, and for every word, for every time you read the verse, you emphasize the following words. So let me give you an example. I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God every time I remember you. So you emphasize every word, and so you, you make these pauses, and, and you stop. And then what happens is because you're not quickly reading, you're actually drawing out from the text like, wow, I didn't see that there before. And so one of those emphases that I see, he's, he's thanking God every time. How many times is Paul thinking of them? Three times a day? Who knows? But every time he, they arise in his mind, he finds an occasion to thank God. And he's, he doesn't leave it there. See, this is where I, w- I want to uh, for you to focus on this <clears throat> idea of thanks because the thanks is not disconnected from prayer. Yeah, have you ever met those people who 
they pray and it seems like you've entered into a, a mortuary. You've entered into a graveyard. You've entered into a funeral. And now I understand there's times when we pray and, and there's a sense of sobriety of mind. There's a sense of grief because the Spirit of God is moving in such a way that He wants you to focus in on the, the tragedy concerning the lost or, or backslidden members and, and you're, you're lifting up intercessions on behalf of those that are um, living lives that are, are, are sinful. Right? But nevertheless, there should be a reoccurring reality of things in our hearts when we come to prayer. And Paul is modeling for us what a life led by the Spirit in the place of prayer ought to look like. I thank God. This is why. For example, I said, let us, you know, have a, a space of time where we're worshiping the Lord. Thanking God for the cross. Thanking for the blood that was shed for our sins. Thanking Him that we have breath in our lungs. Thanking Him that we have legs to walk. Thanking Him of everything. Because as we practice gratitude, we begin to find that there's a whole lot more that we haven't thanked God for than we are actually thanking Him for. Many things that we take for granted, but Paul is not disconnecting this from prayer. Rather, he says, in all my prayers for all of you. He doesn't say, in some of my prayers, praying for some of you. How selective would Paul be to say something like that? You know, I, I, don't, I don't like the way you dress, so I'm not going to pray for you. Or, you don't, you don't fit. <clears throat> I don't like your personality, therefore I'm not going to pray for you. Paul is not prejudiced. Paul isn't um, selective. Paul is rather praying, and this is exactly what he says in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions for all the saints with all supplications. You know, I, I've heard you know certain pastors use this, and I think it's kind of funny. They say, you know what it says in the Greek? You know, it says what all says in the Greek? It means all. <laughs> Because normally when you say that, you think that someone's going to add something deep. Like, ooh, what is he about to say? <clears throat> but it's, it's all is all. It's all inclusive. All those that fill apart. Let me ask you this question. Are there people in your life that God has entrusted to you and you're not praying for them? Let's go, so, let's go even further. There are things that they're doing in obedience to God in their lives, and you don't find an occasion to thank God for it? Is it jealousy, envy? <clears throat> um, what have you? It's a better life for ourselves. We end up getting a greater quality of life as we begin to find thanks in our heart for those who belong unto God. You know, it's it's a glorious thing to me to to realize that there, that we we some of us here in this group have shared um, have enjoyed the testimony of those who had come to faith. 
And when we think about that, you know, I was I was just looking at some of my pictures of my little boy um, four years ago today, and um, he, he was much smaller, and and I, uh, you know, I couldn't help but get emotional as I'm as I'm looking at these pictures. So I'm thinking back closer to the time of his birth. How how grateful should we be? with regards to those who had come to Christ. It's always an occasion to rejoice because this is one more person that has been saved from hell. And and I don't want to be a fear mongerer, but I also don't want to shy away from the reality that there is a hell and it is eternal. And those who have come to faith in Christ have forever been, uh, uh, have been prevented from going to that horrifying place. So if, if for no other reason we find an occasion to thank God. And look, I know that there are so many people today that will want to out-argue this stuff. And let me say this. If, the, if, if, I, if, if I don't want there to be a hell, but the reality is this. My conscience cannot permit for me to accept the reality of the plain reading of the text that I think Jesus did speak of a place that men forever will be cut off from the presence of God. And let me say this, if I have just an ounce or a fraction of the love of Christ, then it will compel me to speak and pray in such a manner that would plead for men to 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 love themselves enough to avoid such a terrifying place. <clears throat> and how cowardly would I be? I'd be first to admit that I am a coward if I try to preach to people in such a manner that suggests that this really isn't in this Bible that, that I claim to, to believe. I, I don't want to be a coward. Because I, I think that that, that is... If, if anybody despises people... Men despise those that are cowardly and, and are betrayers. And I can't betray my conscience. I can't betray the Christ that has enlisted me into his army, has enlisted me as a minister to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? I'd be worse than a man, a doctor, who had to cure for cancer, but prevented from telling people that they had cancer because I didn't want to offend them. I don't go out to deliberately offend people, but nevertheless, the Word of God has the potential to offend. Amen? Amen. <coughs> but he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I always pray with joy. Let me ask you this a question. I'm not looking for answers and I'm not trying to guilt anybody. But do you always pray for with joy? Are you rejoiced every time that you come to the presence of God? You know, some people might say that's not realistic, brother. You got to you got to you got to come down to earth. And I would simply say no, it it is realistic and it's biblical. David says, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence there is fullness of joy. See, the reason why we don't experience joy is because we don't, 
because we don't bring God joy. Because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Not the joy of Greg, not the joy of Mandender, not the joy of anybody, not the joy of Malachi, the joy of the Lord. So there might be things that might bring my flesh happiness, but it's not that that will provide me strength. It isn't until that I bring joy unto God that God will bring strength unto me. See, have you ever come to a place in your life where you're so weak? It's because you're not bringing joy to God and you're doing your own thing. You're saying, God, I don't really want to listen to you. My ways are better. And so obviously your joy will become depleted because God only provides spiritual strength unto those who are uh, uh, um, returning unto him, uh, uh, um, are living unto him in such a way that their lives are bringing God joy. And so it's this mutual transaction. You bring him your life, he brings you joy. You bring joy to his heart, he brings you strength. Amen. And so so Paul is saying, I pray in such a manner that every time I think of you, I am thanking God for you, and I am having joy in my heart for you. And and for God. And and this is a biblical life. This you know I I I I know there's truth to to this quote, but I honestly don't really like it too much because a lot I feel like a lot of times people use this quote. It's it's always with ulterior motives. People often say this because they're defensive. They say, "Don't be so heavily minded to where you're no earthly good." And a lot of times, in my experience, that I'm not saying that there aren't ever times where people say that in truth. And people are so, they have their heads in the cloud so much that they're, they're not practical. They're not of any good contribution or benefit to society. But nevertheless, in my experience, I have found that a lot of people say that out of defensiveness, out of insecurity. They feel there's this big, you know, contrast between your life and theirs. And so they want to project onto you this sense of false spirituality because they don't want to feel more carnal than they really are more natural than they really are. And see, you know what? You might be a good natural man. But the natural man can't understand the things of the Spirit. Amen. You know, what does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians? He says, um, Ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love Him. But He has revealed to us these things by His Spirit. You know, um... I I, uh, I I someone invited me to this little group on Facebook, and um, and I, I don't I don't say this arrogantly at all. I, someone invited me to a group on Facebook, and it was <clears throat> um, they posted something, and um, and they had they had taken the name of the Lord in vain, and uh, there was this guy. A lot of people started attacking me. Like a lot of people started attacking Christians. They were attacking me because um, they were trying to justify themselves and everything. And, and I said, "Look, man, this guy. He ended up saying you pretentious, hypocritical. You know, you, you're trying to elevate yourself above us in order to shame us and stuff like that." And I said, "Look, man, you're in no position to judge me. Only spiritual man can judge spiritual man." And that's, that's the Bible. 
He says, the spiritual man judges all things, but he is of himself judged of no man. What he meant there is the natural man can't accurately judge a spiritual man because they don't understand spiritual things. So obviously they're going to think you're a hypocrite because you choose Christ over your family. Obviously they're going to think you're not loving if you choose the ways of the Lord rather than choosing the ways of your family. Obviously they're going to think that you're betraying your family because you renounce Catholicism in favor of the truth of Christ. You see that? Amen. And I said, brother, you have to take out the log in your eye before you can see clearly to judge me. Your judgment is not in truth. But see, this this, this sort of language, I don't say that pompously or arrogantly, but this, this sort of truth offends people because it suggests that while they claim to see, they're really living in darkness. And I asked him this and he didn't respond. I said, because I pick stuff up from people. I said, what are you allowing into your ear and eye gates? I said, are you, are you, are you watching too much entertainment and allowing darkness into you and you want to judge me? And so I know that I can come off as arrogant, but if, if I'm telling you, I see, and you're, you're with the, you know, stick and you're falling into ditches. You know, don't take it as an offense if I'm trying to direct you away from a ditch. And, um, but nevertheless, um, as we, it, does that make sense? I, I don't, I don't want that to come, I don't want that to be miscommunicated. I don't, I don't want you to not get that. Amen. <clears throat> but Paul, Paul says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So I, I love this part because he this word partnership is the Greek word koinonia, where we get the word fellowship. Okay, so Paul is finding occasion to thank God in his heart because they are participating, they are fellowshipping in the work of advancing the gospel. He says, in he says, you're because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, their partnership may have been preaching Christ themselves and winning souls, or their contribution may have been giving, their contribution may have been uh, interceding for the work of Christ. And let me give you a couple of examples of where we find the same word fellowship or partnership, or or, or the Greek word koinonia, we see in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, he says, Begging, er, uh, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So that word part is the word koinonia. And, and that word favor there is that Greek word charis, where we get the, where we get the English word grace. And so Paul is saying that the, the church is, is begging earnestly for grace or for charis, for favor, of taking fellowship or taking making some form of contribution or or including themselves in a partnership for the relief of of other saints of other churches and so in other words this is a work of grace this is a it is is this is a partnership of grace for the relief of other saints and Paul calls this again partnership and so where is Paul finding 
this thanks in his heart. If you see there in the chat, if if you don't have it there in your Bibles, if you didn't turn there, you see again uh, first Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight, verse four. He says, begging us earnestly for the grace. That's the Greek word hottest favor of taking part of including themselves in the fellowship or the partnership or the contribution for relieving saints. So let, you want a good indication if you're a part of this fellowship, what contribution are you making? What are you truly in partnership with the advancing of the gospel? You know, it's like it's like gang life. You know, I remember some time back I was watching this, this crip. He was an OG crip. For those of you that don't know what that is, OG just means original gangster and Crip is just a certain gang here in California, originated in LA um, by some guy named Tookie Williams. But he uh, he was this original gangster in the prison and he was, uh, you know, because sometimes they sneak in phones and stuff like that. So they were recording and he was saying, he said, Basically, he was he was speaking about the younger ones. He said, "You know, you're on the block, and you're put you're you're claiming you know crip." He says, "But your enemies don't know you." He says, "The block knows you, but your enemies don't know you because you don't put in work." He says, "But you want to act like you have stripes or you have some form of rank, but your enemies don't know you." All right, and so. Let me apply that concept to this. We're claiming fellowship, but what contribution are we making for the advancing of the gospel? That doesn't mean that necessarily you'll be an evangelist, right? Some, some. Let me just say this: a lot of people would be would be better to get that image out of their head because they're doing more harm going into the streets and then they're doing good. They, 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 they repel people away from Christ for their poor witness. Amen. But, but they'll, they'll, they'll justify themselves by saying, Oh, you know, it's hard days, brother. The last days, the great falling away is worse now than 2,000 years. No, it's you're worse now than what the evangelists were 2,000 years ago. (laughs) 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 But, you know what I love? I remember... uh, Apostle Joshua Selman pointed this out. Normally we view Jesus in such a light that suggests he was hated by all men. That's not true. You know who who showed complete hatred for him were Pharisees. The Romans didn't even despise him. The Pharisees hated him. Why do you think 5,000 men alone, not including women and children, flocked to him. Do you think it was because they really hated him that much? You know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that he wasn't hated. I'm not even suggesting that his doctrine wasn't hated. I'm not suggesting that. But what I am suggesting is this. We need to have a clearer picture of what we read there in the text because there was a lot of people that flocked him, a lot of people that thanked him. There were so many that even said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? 
There, there were people. And so <clears throat> when Jesus uh, said, go get that donkey, he was able to say, go get that donkey because he had such favor with men. That they, it's like, okay, well, if the master needs it, go ahead. You can use my donkey. It's kind of like if you're at work and you you're, you have such a great character and reputation that the people there, um, if if asked, if you ask the simple, simple favor, oh, of course, of course, that's fine. That's completely fine. Because you have favor with men. And Jesus had, as the text clearly says, favor with God and favor with men. Yes, he was hated by the Pharisees, but the Romans even recognized this is the Son of God. Even Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Even his wife, Pilate's wife was disturbed because she knew that he was an innocent man. He was a just man. Right? So, I, I say that because um, we have to recognize that Jesus had favor. And we should have favor with men too. But if, if, we, if we bring dishonor to those whom we should be bringing honor to, it is of no wonder why we get terrible results. We have to live lives of character. But we... Um, as you see here, Paul is saying with joy because he says, I "Always pray with joy, in uh, because of your partnership, your contribution, your fellowship, your your you know your uniting, your in the gospel from the first day until now." So, in other words, they 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 are enduring. You know, Paul says this to the uh, the Corinthian church in I believe the fifteenth or sixteenth chapter. He says. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, so you know that your work in the Lord is not in vain. You know, Paul talks about the church of Thessalonica, that he worried about them, lest his labor to them be in vain, and the tempter tempted them, and, and they relapse. Because they're suffering a bit of persecution. They say, you know what, this 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 uh, narrow road is too great of a of a of a path. I can't take it anymore. I'm no longer going to make. I'm no longer going to partnership in this thing we call gospel. Let me say this, and I don't say this to be of any discouragement, but just to bring awareness to us that the 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 life of the gospel is not for the faint of heart. Amen. But do you know how you avoid a faint heart? Is have a prayerful heart because Jesus connects prayerlessness to a fainted heart, according to Luke chapter eighteen verse one. He spoke a parable unto them to uh, unto this end that men ought always to pray and not faint. So if you lack in prayer, you're, you've already fainted. You avoid a fainted heart. You know, I, I, I've, I've heard uh, by a great apostle, Apostle Rome, he said, we have concocted, we fabricated the word prayerlessness. The Bible defines it as fainting. To avoid a fainting heart, we must have a prayerful heart. You know, there's, there's very few things that the Bible 
re uh, you know reemphasizes again and again and prayer is one of them he says pray without ceasing doesn't say sing without ceasing organize without singing past uh, a pastor without ceasing it says pray without ceasing if you pray without ceasing you'll have a heart that avoids fainting without ceasing you won't succumb to that place you know why because it's only there this is Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Right? So you, you can read your Bible and not hear Christ. Do you know that? The, where I have learned to hear Christ is abiding in prayer and bowing down my ear and saying, Lord, your servant is listening. What would you have to say to me? And so when he speaks, it elicits faith in my heart. So this is why Jude can say in the first chapter, in the 20th verse, that praying in the Holy Ghost, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Right? <coughs> and I, I, I reemphasize this for our joy. Watch your lives change when you take prayer as your business with all seriousness. More and more greater depths. You know, I it, I was just praying a couple of nights ago, and the glory of God came in the room so heavily that I had to turn on the fan because it was so hot. I began to get so hot. And see, this sort of language freaks out cessationists and people who haven't probed the depths of the Spirit because they'll say, where's that at in the Bible? There's a lot of things in the Bible that aren't recorded. But I know God enough to know when he's on me. Amen. I know I know God. I I don't think I know God. I don't I don't try to you know, you know, come to the logical conclusion, you know, with this verse, you know, in addition to that verse, do I know God? I know God. I know him. Undoubtedly. And so I, that's what leads me with such great confidence to know that every time I come to him, he hears me. He hears me. And he bow, he says, I am listening. I have the ear, you have the ear of the Almighty. Amen. Hallelujah. See, even now I sense the presence of God. You, you, see, here's, here's the reason why. Because whenever you tell God, to the people of God or unto God, the very words of God, it pleases his heart. So his presence comes to attest to it. Saying, I affirm that man's words because they're my words. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. But their partnership was in the gospel and they didn't come to a place of fainting. They didn't relapse. They endured from the first day until now, whenever Paul wrote that. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto the completion. A car carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. I was really studying this last night. And <clears throat> I was seeking understanding. 
because the word their work is the Greek word ergon, and and it 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 can refer to several things. It can refer to the work of God in us. It can refer to some form of external work outside of us, or you know a good deed. You know Jesus says that if you don't believe uh, my word, he says believe for my ergon, my deeds, my work that I perform, <clears throat> and so. Typically, I've, I've read this and I thought that the good work that God would begin is, is um, something just, just me and God sort of deal. Like it's just this sort of spiritualized work of God in me. But as I begin to probe and I, as I begin to search further, I, I, I begin to realize, let us turn really quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 4 through 8, and I, I hopefully I can do justice in explaining to you what I believe this text means, and, and there's a reason for it. It's not just for us to fill up our heads with more knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. <clears throat> the word of the Lord reads, I always thank my God for you. Now notice, Paul, we know this is Paul, by his style of writing, he always prefaces with some thanks unto God. He always thanks God for the church that he's writing to. And he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, see, this is what Paul was thanking God for in the in the, Philipp, uh, in the book of Philippians, right? For, um, what we haven't got there yet. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll show you later. But verse 5 says, For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack in any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So what you find are a lot of the same terms that Paul is using in Philippians. He uses the word fellowship there. He seeks for them to be blameless. Here the church of Corinth, just like he seeks for the church at Philippi to be blameless. We'll see in, 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 in the following verses. He refers to the revelation of Christ, the return of Christ, in verse um, 7. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Paul talks about in the uh, book of Philippians that you be blameless until the day of Christ. So you see this parallel. The revelation of Christ, the day of Christ... He's talking about partnership in Corinthians, the partnership in the book of Philippians. He's talking about uh, the grace. He says, because of this grace given you in Christ Jesus, Paul says, you're partners in this grace. He says, whether I'm defending or confirming the gospel, you're all partakers of the grace of God. Right? <clears throat> and so, Paul, let me... And hold that thought. I hope I don't confuse us here. This will be the last passage we read and we'll, we'll close up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 15. 
Paul says this, What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace, that same grace Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians, same grace he mentions in the book of Philippians, that has been given unto him. And that grace has been given unto them to work for them. So the work of God in the Philippian church is the work of God through Paul. For them. Because the work of God comes from the worker who is God and we are co-workers with him. You see that. Who are the co-workers? Apollos, Paul, Cephas. But in the church of Philippi, that worker, that co-worker with God was Paul. And so the the work that Paul is talking about will be carried into the completion of the day of Christ, like he mentions in Corinthians, is the work that Paul is laboring on their behalf. So it's not just this private, God is working in me. God is not separating work from his workers. You see that? And now this is important because as you continue on, it says, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. That same work he's talking about in in Philippians. (coughs) Because the day... The day of Jesus Christ, the, the day, like Paul mentions in Philippians, they will be com- carried to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. He says, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you are yourselves that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. What do we need to build? What do we need to work on? The temple. Let me ask you this question. Are you receptive to the work of God in the temple? Or do we have lazy hands in the partnership of the gospel? Are we resistant to the work? Are we saying, you know, I don't really like this co-worker, uh, so I'm going to resist the work of God. See, God wants this work to continue until the revelation or the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. And that day will test every man's work. And let me say this, God is jealous for the construction of his temple, so that if we are resistant unto that work, who will be held accountable? Amen. I, I hope that you see that parallel there. I, I mean, I've tried to do my best to explain that. Um, but if we go back to Philippians, 
<clears throat> he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Same, same vocabulary. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 15 mentions the day. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 mentions the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in all those instances refers to a work that should be carried to completion that is pure and undefiled and that will receive a reward. All right? But that work of God is not disconnected from God's workers. And so, why is this important? Because by the grace of God we do what we do. This is why Paul says, I worked harder than them all, yet nevertheless not I, but the grace of God in me. And Paul is saying, look, the church at Philippi, you are partakers of this grace. He says this uh, very clearly in, um, where does he say this at? Um, verse uh, 7. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And so, are we partakers of that grace, or are we frustrating that grace? Are we frustrating that grace is that is providing that work, for that work to continue? And 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 this is this is the same grace Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 4 when he says begging us early, earnestly for the grace of taking fellowship in the relief of the saints. So as you are participators in the relief of the saints you are participating in the grace of God. That doesn't mean that if you don't participate that you somehow lost your salvation or anything like that. But see what we got to understand that when we make contributions to the work of God, we are partaking in the in this form of unique grace that God is providing to the church to to continue on this work, to continue on the advancing of the gospel, and so even Paul is saying that while he was locked up, that that he was still nevertheless in uh, laboring for this gospel. So whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And so I, I want to bring this question to ourselves. In what fashion and in what way are we being partakers or con con contributors to the advancing of the gospel? Because this is, this is the Great Commission. This is the a, a high call this high call paul paul says i forget all those things which are behind me and i strain ahead to what to what lies be, uh, be, uh, before me that i may obtain the upward call of christ jesus see we have we have no rights of our own we have no life of our own we've been purchased with the price he he gave his life and so in exchange for the life he gave, we give ours unto him. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So, notice, um, 
excuse me. Uh, does that make sense, uh, Saints? Uh, you know, um, slap your neighbor and tell your neighbor. <laughs> slap your neighbor and tell your neighbor, wake up. <laughs> Come on, everybody. <laughs> Can I get a name? Man, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it was funny because I seen on uh, Facebook real recently, there's this, I don't know if she was a gospel singer, kind of looked like she was in church. It says when that mosquito keeps swarming around your head and she has a microphone, she goes, ah, <laughs> and she keeps doing that. Thank you Jesus praise the Lord I thank God that I'm not in a and I've said this before I'm not in a Mormon church I'm not in a Catholic church I'm not in a mosque I'm among the fellowship of the saints where there's joy there's happiness there's a glory you know <clears throat> I've, 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 I've heard some Christians that show a lot of disdain for joy in the house of God, you got to understand when the prodigal son had returned, what was there? There was festivity and rejoicing. There was rejoicing. And look at that cantankerous, self-righteous man says, oh, you know, he's pouting this son of yours. You know, there, there should be joy. There should be liveliness. There should be a sense to where... You know, like David, he dances in the presence of God. You know, times where there's so much joy, you can't help but laugh. I've had times where the joy of the Lord came upon me and I laughed in victory like, yes, I'm on the winning side. I got God in my soul. I am on a, an advancement and Jesus has already promised me and you who wins at the end of the story. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. So it's all right if you give a little bit of amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you guys are muted and I can already hear you laughing. Somehow you're breaking the barrier of that, that, that you know, feature here on zoom you've already you've broken that barrier and you somehow i can still hear you but that's good <clears throat> verse 8 we'll come into a close god can testify how i long for all of you with the affection of christ jesus i love this about paul he's not just trying to preach at people he longs for them kind of how like we long to see each other uh, together in europe or wherever we want to be able to meet, to worship the Lord together, I long for you with the bowels and the affections of Jesus Christ. 
that is what should be present within the church today. Not just a little cute handshake. Hi, sister. Hey, brother. Ha <laughs> ha. Hey. It's like, nah, man, I don't do that fake stuff. If you don't like me, just let me know. Let's, like, work this out. I just, I don't like that. You know what I mean? You know, I remember when, uh, you know, I would see people speak in tongues in church, and and uh, this was before I was saved, and I wanted to speak in tongues, and, you know, I'm like, man, I'm not into fake. I, I If this is real, I want it. So, God, if you if you are hearing me and this stuff works, Lord, I need it. And I, if, if this is real, and I promise that I won't let go until I get this, I'm just not into fake. So if I'm not happy, I won't smile. I'll just stonewall you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I, I believe that we should work things out. We should be real about this. And so, but don't be mistaken that this is available. That there should be such a longing for the people of God in such a way that they keep coming to your mind. You can't help but thank God for them in the place of prayer. Amen. That's what Paul did. You know, I remember, and forgive me if this uh, example is too poor of an example, but I remember when I used to get intoxicated and I'd be with some of my friends, you know, the hearts would come out and... You know, they would they'd be, you know, belligerent and slurring, like, I love you, bro. You know. <laughs> but if uh, they call it bromance or whatever, you know. Or if, like, I remember there was a number of occasions we would get off, you know, on the cops or we'd get in fights or whatever and brawls and we'd come out unscathed and we'd shake each other's hands, fist bump, whatever, give a little embrace and, you know, say stuff like that. Um, and, you know, I have found that it isn't until you fight with people, like fight alongside of people in the thick of war, that you actually really begin to appreciate them. Amen. But it's somehow in the church we've lost that element, and we don't want that. We just want to We just want to go to Build-A-Bear workshop. You know, we got, we got our theology from Build-A-Bear. <laughs> Toys R Us or some candy, you know, candy shop or something. But that's not the theology that I read about. Happy Land, Disneyland, you know, whatever. You you pick your choice. This is all good, you know, Dr. Phil behind the pulpit. That's all people want. You know, actually, you know, Dr. Phil's actually more frank than a lot of preachers, to be honest. This becomes very direct. But nevertheless, <clears throat> and he says, and this is my prayer. So this is the, from verse 9 to verse 11. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and the depth of insight. So the prayer that Paul was talking about in verse 3, he, he discloses to us what that prayer is. That your love may abound more and more. So Paul's not only praying for his love. Notice, he's not praying that you may have love. They have love. But he's praying that it may abound more and more. So he doesn't even say, I pray that your love may abound. It would be, we would think that it's enough to say that I pray that your love may abound. That's a good prayer. But no, because it may be said that my love had abounded and therefore I fulfilled 
that prayer. I fulfilled the outcome of that prayer. But he wants this to be a continuous thing. So your love may very well have abounded. But that's not enough. He wants it to continue to abound. Grow more and more and more and more. So if we think we have arrived to a place where I am perfectly loving like Jesus, we've got it wrong. Because this is a prayer that I believe we are to pray from the day of our salvation to the day of our death, that my love may abound more and more for God and for His people. And now notice this, and let, 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 me, let me add more insight here. He, that's not even enough. He doesn't even leave it there. He says, I want this love that, that I'm praying for, for you to have, to gain, to be in knowledge. And the depth of insight. You know why? Because love, with a love that is misinformed, can lead to tragic results. There's a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. And an misinformed love will not be able to educate you on how to properly love people. So you need to be informed on what this love looks like because. Not all love is agape love. In fact, the, the Greek word, the Greek language takes four different uh, terms to describe this one word that we call love. You know, and so it's it's very rich. And the love that we're talking about here is the love of God. And the way that God loves people isn't the way that we love people. We love them that love us, or our love is transactional. But God is saying that he wants us to love in such a way to where, you know what, you don't wait for that person, to re- for them to reconcile to you, you reconcile to them. You don't wait for a person uh, uh, to do what you are expecting them to do in order for you to love them. You love them even if they don't love you in return. But notice this, that's not even enough. He says... That this love would be informed, it has knowledge, but depth of insight. So I can acquire knowledge through reading the Bible, but I cannot require insight through reading the Bible. And here's the reason why. Insight is locked up in the realm of wisdom, and wisdom is locked up in the realm of prayer. This is why he says in James chapter 1, verse 5, that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. I can be a walking library. I can know all about quantum physics. I can know my theology from front to back, but I still be lacking in insight and wisdom. Because wisdom is locked up onto, uh, for, the, for the simple. Not simple-minded necessarily, but simple of heart. The dependent on heart, the humble at heart. The Bible says he shows the meek his secret counsel. And so if I can have I can have wisdom and knowledge and lack love. I can have love and lack wisdom and knowledge. If I have wisdom and knowledge but no love, I will be an expedient, a tactful person who is motivated by selfish ambition. If I have love but no wisdom and knowledge, the results may be as equally as destructive. So Paul says, I want you to have the agape love of God informed with wisdom and knowledge. 
And so that is what we should aim for. So that, and there's a cause for it, so that you may be able to discern what is the best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So this is necessary for discernment. As I've said, I can be wise and knowledgeable, but if I lack love, I cannot properly discern people or things because my critical heart, I will judge them on the basis of my critical heart. But if I have a love, but no insight and no knowledge, I am still at a disadvantaged position and I can't uh, uh, appropriately judge people. Because this love that I have may be misinformed and that love will be acceptant of their sinful lifestyles. So it isn't only until we have this coupled together that we can unlock discernment. Amen? So Paul prays that they have it for the purpose of discernment, that they may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. You know what the fruit of righteousness is? The Bible tells us in James chapter 3 verse 18. It says that the peacemakers that sow in righteousness, so show in peace, shall reap righteousness. In Isaiah chapter 32 verse 17 it talks about how peace is the fruit of righteousness. See, we will lack in peace until we unlock these dimensions in God, this reality in God. You will continue to be robbed of peace. And so, in closing, I want to leave us with a bit of application here. This was Paul's (coughs) prayer. We are to make it our prayer. Say, God, give me this this love. May my love abound more and more in all knowledge, depth of insight, for the purposes of discernment. And that discernment serves for the purpose of being pure and blameless until the day of Christ because the overarching thing that this provides is glory unto God. <clears throat> Everything, whether word or deed, is done unto the glory of God. And so, what is the purpose of obtaining all this? Is to please Him and to live a life that is worthy and fitting of the gospel of peace. And so, this gospel that we are growing more into and by is the same gospel Paul was thanking him Versus thanking them versus earlier they have they have become partakers thereof. They have fellowship in. So gospel living is not disconnected from gospel advancement. And gospel advancement is not disconnected from those who make advancement, namely the people of God, which requires true fellowship. It requires family requires God's workers. You are God's building. We are his co-workers. So, we make this contribution in in a number of ways, and I'm not going to go into the details of that. But simply put, 
our contribution is going to matter in light of eternity. Our fellowship in the gospel, our fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. So why does this all matter? Because people matter. And Jesus said that there is still a commission to fulfill. And you and I are to aim our very lives for that main goal. Because hell is hot and is very real. And heaven is glorious and it is very real. And so we must, with loving hearts, open mouths, gentle hands, implore those that are on their way to damnation, <clears throat> to beg those who are on their way to damnation, and say, Amen. repent, change your mind about the course of the way that you're living, forsake death and obtain life in Christ. And so, 